So tonight is the Supreme and Superior Sustainer, part two, okay? So we're gonna stay with the same flow. I really do hope, church, that you've been getting something from these short studies as we walk through um, Paul and Timothy's epistle to the Colossians. Honestly, my prayer is that you would be blessed, you would be challenged, but you would also be encouraged and built up in your faith just by taking a few verses each week, looking at them in context and seeing how they can teach us and train us as we try to live out our lives for the King of Kings. Amen. I also pray that it would encourage you, it would encourage you more to get into the Word yourself, to get into the Bible in your own time and look, just simply read it. You don't have to do any kind of deep study. You don't have to do any word studies of the Hebrew or Greek. The first priority is that you actually read it. I promise that if you take the time to sit down with the word, if you read it, meditate on it, the Lord will speak to you by his word. He will. On Wednesday evening, I share just a short um, talk here with the saints at the prayer gathering about making prayer a priority. Well, let's do the same with reading the Word of God. Let's make reading the precious Word a priority in our lives. Is everyone on board with that? Now, let's get back to Colossians 1. Last week, as I mentioned, we used verses 15 to 17 as our main point of focus. And I'd like to read those verses again and then read into the passage we're gonna look at this evening. So let's read this together. We're gonna start from Colossians 1, verse nine, so that we can follow Paul's line of thought and stay with the context within this delightful and beautiful letter written to the saints in Colossae. For this cause we also, since the day we heard it, do not cease to pray for you and to desire that ye might be filled with the knowledge of his will in all wisdom and spiritual understanding, that ye might walk worthy of the Lord unto all pleasing, being fruitful in every good work, and increasing in the knowledge of God, strengthened with all might, according to his glorious power, unto all patience and long-suffering with joyfulness, giving thanks unto the Father, which hath made us meet to be partakers of the inheritance of the saints in light, who has translated, sorry, who hath delivered us from the power of darkness and hath translated us into the kingdom of his dear Son, in whom we have redemption through his blood even the forgiveness of sins, who is the image of the invisible God, the firstborn of every creature. For by him were all things created that are in heaven, that are on the earth, those visible and invisible, whether they be thrones or dominions or principalities or powers, all things were created by him and for him. And he is before all things, and by him all things consist. And he is the head of the body, the church, who is the beginning, the firstborn from the dead, that in all things he might have the preeminence. For it pleased the Father that in him should all the fullness dwell, and having made peace through the blood of his cross, by him to reconcile all things unto himself, by him I say, whether they be things in earth or things in heaven, Church, what a powerful and precious passage from the Word of God this evening. I know many of you know this passage so well and have maybe even studied it for yourself. 
You know, there's so much incredible truth and teaching contained within its words and phrases. And I have really enjoyed, as I always do, digging into this passage from this little book to the Colossians. And I hope to share some of that truth and teaching with you tonight. Now, before we get into verse 17 this evening, I do need to stop for just a moment and point out something about this wonderful passage contained in Colossians 1. I know many of us tonight are using the old favorite, the King James Bible, as I do. Will you better be? Are you? Those of you who have them, good. And in the King James Version, and in many older translations, your text will probably just read right through. And what I mean by that is, there won't be any breaks, there won't be any gaps, there won't be any inf inference that anything different is happening here in the text. And here is how things uh, we'll look in your King James Version in Colossians 1. Now, I know it's very small, but I just wanted to show you. You see the way there's no breaks? It just reads right through just as one text. Now, let me show you it in a more modern translation. This is from the Christian Standard Bible. Okay, I know that's, hold on. I know that's very small, but you don't need to read it. The point is just to show you the layout. You can see from the King James that it is a block of text Whereas the Christian Standard Bible does something a little bit strange um, when it gets to verse 15. So verses 15 to 20 are kind of set aside and it's, you can see what I mean. It's like in a kind of block form. Now, why is this? Why does the CSB, along with many other modern translations, do this with 15 to 20? Well, let me tell you, you know, many scholars are of the opinion that verses 15 to 20 from Colossians 1 are actually part of an already known hymn or a known song or a poem or a statement of faith that already existed at the time that Paul and Timothy penned this letter to the Colossians. You see, many believe that Paul took what was an already widely known Christian saying, a song, a statement of faith, and used it within his reply to the saints at Colossia. You'll find that actually, you know the, you know the passage from Philippians 2 we all know? You know, where it talks about Jesus did not uh, take equality with God, something to be grasped. Many Bibles do exactly the same with that passage, and they'll say that it's actually, a, a, it was already a preformed Christian statement, a kind of like a doctrine of faith. They hold it because of its wording and meaning, that Paul thought it applicable to what was happening in the Colossian church with this Gnosticism and superstition and this false teaching that was going on, brought in by the false teachers. And you know what? They could be right because we just don't know. You know, maybe this passage did already exist and Paul did feel that it was perfectly applicable to the situation in Colossae. Maybe he changed a few words here and there to make it better fit their situation. Maybe he didn't. We just don't know. The other option, of course, is that the whole passage is original to Paul, but church, there is no way of knowing. There's no sure way of knowing. But both options are there, and there are many on both sides of the debate. Now, what we do know, however, is that whether Paul wrote the words himself or he used something that already existed in the church, he was under the inspiration of God. Okay? Whether he used something that already existed or whether he wrote the words himself, he was still under the inspiration of God when he included it in this letter to the Colossians. You see, the Lord knew better than Paul the words that the saints needed to hear, and he directed Paul in the way that he thought was best. Either way, church, the Holy Spirit was fully involved in getting this message 
this text, these exact words to the Christians in Colossae. And you know what? If it was a song or a psalm, if it was a poem or a statement of faith, it was a beautiful one, already filled with so much truth, and I'm glad that God wanted it included because I love it. It's incredible. Now, that's a wee bit of introduction. Let's get into the text. As we always do, let's again read into the text to get the flow. And we will read from verse 15 into verse 18. Who? That's Jesus. He is the image of the invisible God, the firstborn over every creature. For by him were all things created that are in heaven and that are in earth, visible and invisible, whether they be thrones or dominions or principalities or powers. All things were created by him and for him. And he is before all things, and by him all things consist. And here's where we're starting tonight, verse 18. And he is the head of the body, the church, who is the beginning, the firstborn from the dead, that in all things he might have the preeminence. Isn't that beautiful, church? Listen again. And he, that is Jesus, he is the head of the body, the church, who is the beginning, He's the firstborn from the dead, that in all things he might have the preeminence. This is the same verse from the New Living Translation. Christ is also the head of the church, which is his body. He is the beginning, there's that word again, supreme over all who rise from the dead. So he is what? Say it. First. So he is first in everything. Isn't that just wonderful from the word of God tonight? Here, the text moves from speaking of Christ as the creator and sustainer to Christ as supreme over his church, over the assembly and over his own body. In this passage, verses 15 to 20, we see a lot of what would be called Hebrew parallelism. Now, I don't want to get into it tonight, but believe me, it's there. And you know, this whole passage that we've been studying for the last two weeks speaks of what has been called the headship of Christ. The headship of Christ. The first three verses that we looked at last week, 15 to 17, speak of his, what has been called his natural headship. That is his headship, his priority, his supremacy, his superiority over all creation, including all of its various powers, all of its dominions, both on earth and in heaven, visible or invisible. Our verses tonight from 18 to 20 speak of the Lord's, I love this, his redemptional headship, his redemptional headship. This headship speaks of and into his, his priority, sorry, his supremacy and his superiority over his church, over his body. One commentator stated that this entire passage talks of who Christ is and what place he fills in the universe. And you know what? He's right. That's exactly what this passage speaks of. This whole passage gives us some wonderful truths, vital and important truths about Jesus Christ, the image of the invisible God. Let me get a wee drink. This whole passage, it asserts the priority of the Son of God as the eternal spirit before creation. He is therefore superior to all creation. Church, we know that he rules and he reigns over it with total supremacy and complete sovereignty. 
supremacy and sovereignty. And now we learn that he is also superior over the church. That's us. He's superior over his body, over his assembly. Paul writes, he is the head of the body, the church. He, who is it? It's Jesus Christ, God in the flesh. He is the, the kephale, the kephale of his body, of his church. You know, this word, kephale, which is translated head, actually comes from a sense of seizing something. You know, and it can be both used figuratively and literally as the head. Now, of course, here, Paul, as he always does in the scriptures, he uses the term metaphorically. He's trying to paint a picture for the believers in Colossae of the relationship between Jesus, who is the head, and the church, who is his body. And this word that we have translated as head carries the meaning metaphorically of anything supreme, something chief, something prominent. And you know, it can speak of persons, it can speak of things, and of course, it speaks of our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ, because he is supreme, he is the chief, and he is the one who is prominent over all. And that's exactly what Paul is doing here. Paul is stating clearly, clearly sorry, that this head, Jesus Christ, is supreme, he's chief, and he's prominent. Amen. He's overall. He has ownership and authority over his body. He rules and reigns over his church. He has control and complete sovereignty over his body, which is the church, the assembly. Church, the church is his body. Realize that tonight. It's we are his body and he is our head. Do not get the two confused. That would be a bad thing. He's the head. We are the body. You know, as I was studying this, I also came across a beautiful picture and description of Christ as head and we, the church, as his body. You know, if you were to follow a fresh, flowing, delightful, fresh river upstream, you would come to what is called what? It's head. It's head. And this is where the river first forms and begins its journey from a larger pool of water, such as a lake or the sea, and it begins to flow there downstream. And what does it do? It brings life, it brings vitality, it brings nutrients, it brings sustenance anywhere it goes. And this is precisely what happens with Jesus as the head of the church. He is its source. Remember that word tonight, he is the source. He is the one who brings growth. He's the one that brings vitality into his body. He's the one who feeds and waters his body. He gives, it the, he gives it the nutrients and the vitamins that it needs because he is the head. And from this head, his goodness, his mercy, his grace, his compassion, his love, and his presence all flow down into his body. We, the church. Isn't that a beautiful picture, church? It's a wonderful picture of the Lord's relationship with his beloved church, his body, the one he sustains with his glory and power. You know, he is truly supreme. He is truly the supreme and superior sustainer of creation. We know that. But he's also the supreme and superior sustainer of his church. Can you say amen? Very quiet tonight. He's all awake out there. Even you're quiet, Hugh. <laughs> I must move on. 
Now, what about this word, church? Let's consider it for just a moment. Look, I'm not going to fight with anybody about this, but I must say here that I do believe, along with many scholars and commentators, that church is a very disappointing and unfortunate translation in the King James Version. You see, our word church, it actually comes from the German word Kirk. It comes from, you know, all these churches, Kirkpatrick Memorial. There's Kirk churches in Scotland. There's Kirk churches in England. And the word Kirk actually comes from the Greek Kyriakon, okay, which is the Greek, which means of the Lord, okay? I don't know why the translators chose this word, but it is, it's incorrect. This isn't the word Kyriakon. The Greek word ecclesia would be better translated as the called out ones. The called out ones, okay? You see, the Greek word is a mixture of two, kalio, to call, and the prefix ek, which is out, to call out, a calling out. Now, as I said, I won't get into a fight with anyone over it, but the fact remains that the word ecclesia does not mean church. It just doesn't. What it means is that we are the called out ones. We are called out. We have been called out by God. And don't forget that. Romans 8, and we know that all things work together for good to those who love God, to those who are the called according to his purpose, for, whom, for those whom he foreknew, he also predestined to be conformed to the image of his son, that he might be the firstborn, there's that word again, the firstborn among many brethren. Moreover, whom he predestined, those he also called, whom he called, these he also justified, and whom he justified, these he also glorified. Church, I shouldn't use that word now. It's so hard to get out of the habit. Called out ones, we are called out. We are called out by him and for him. Why? To serve him, to love him, to be his hands and his feet, to share the good news of the gospel in our community and in the city that we love so much. Church, he... <laughs> I did it again. <laughs> he has brought us... Look. Here's the truth tonight. He has brought us out of darkness and into his glorious light. He has translated us from the kingdom of darkness and into the kingdom of his beloved son. That is good news for all of us tonight. And it's good news for the world that needs Jesus Christ so much. And here's the thing, church. Here's the biggest blessing. We get to be part of his body. You are part of the body of Jesus Christ. His ecclesia his called out community. And he is the head. He is its source. He gives it everything it needs and then he sustains it. He is the supreme and superior sustainer and he still is sustaining his body today. Not just back then, right now, today. And he is the head of the body, the church, who is the beginning the firstborn from the dead, that in all things he might have the preeminence. You know, after Paul's words concerning his relationship between Christ, the head, and the called out ones, his body, he writes these words to reinforce what he has previously written in verses 15 to 17. Who is the beginning, the firstborn from the dead, that in all things he might have the preeminence. 
who is the beginning. Jesus is the arche. This word comes from a root meaning to commence. To commence, it implies a commencement or chief, a term we've already heard tonight to speak of our Lord. You know, it's commencement in rank, in order, in place or time, but it also speaks of something that is first or a magistrate, or a power, or a principality, or a principle and rule. And you know, I believe uh, we used all of these words last week as we spoke of Jesus and his relationship with creation and as creator. What did we say last week? All things were created by him and for him. And now the apostle Paul uses the same language, the same truth, the same words and phrases to speak of the relationship that Jesus has with his body, with his beloved, with the called out ones. Yes, he is definitely the supreme and superior sustainer of the universe, of creation and of this world, but he's also the supreme and superior sustainer and upholder of his church, of his body. He is its head and he is the source of everything that it needs. You know, Paul then speaks again of Christ being the firstborn, a phrase we, we looked at last week. What did it mean? Do you remember? Well, the firstborn states clearly, without any shadow of a doubt, that Jesus Christ is first in rank. He is number one. He rules and reigns over all, supreme, superior, the great sustainer. Church, there's no one above him. There's, there's no one beside him. There's no greater savior in all of creation. He is the sovereign sustainer and he is the king of kings and Lord of lords. You can say amen to that. Brothers and sisters, called out ones, I must come to a close soon. You know, but I pray tonight that the word of God has built you up in your faith and it'll help you in living out your life and journey for the Lord Church, be encouraged tonight. He is still the head of the body. He's, we haven't lost our head. <laughs> I might have. But the church hasn't. His assembly, his beloved church. And you're part of it. Every single one of you is part of his body. I'm part of it. We are part of it. And he is our source. Look, church, that's good news tonight. How can we not praise him? How can we not lift our hands and worship him? How can we not stand and give him thanks for all he's done? How can we be silent when we know who he is and what he has done? We can't. We mustn't be silent. We must lift our voices in praise to him and we're gonna do it very, very soon. He is the firstborn from the dead, simply church. He is supreme over all who rise from the dead and that means that he will be first in absolutely everything and his powerful resurrection from the dead will lead him to have the preeminence. The preeminence. Now, I don't know about you, but preeminence isn't a word I use in everyday, in my everyday chat. Maybe some of you do, I don't know. I definitely don't. The preeminence. The prot eu. I'm, I can't remember how to say it. Oh, hold on. That's my lap. Okay. The prochio. The prochio. That is the preeminence. Church, it's to be first in rank or influence to have the preeminence, which is why we have it translated as the preeminence. He's first in everything. He's first. He's first in rank. He's first in influence. To have the preeminence is to be first and to hold the first place. 
I love that, to hold the first place. You see, Jesus is the beginning. He is the firstborn from the dead. And because of that, he holds the first place in absolutely everything. Church, he is number one. Uno, un. I think that's French. He is the supreme and sovereign and superior sustainer over all things. Church, he upholds the universe by the word of his power. That's what the word tells us. And he holds each of us in the palm of his hands. He is still sustaining today. He is still supreme today. He is still sovereign today. And don't any of you forget it. And he is still superior today. Look, church, I haven't even made it into verse 19, but I promise we'll pick up there next week. Church, my lovely brothers and sisters, whom I love so much, let me leave you with a few passages from the Word of God, which I think fit with our theme tonight. This is Romans 12. For as we have many members in one body, and all members have not the same office, so we, being many, listen, are one body in Christ, and every one members of another. Ephesians 1, 22 to 23, God has put all things under the authority of Christ and has made him head over all things for the benefit of the church. And the church is his body. It is made full and complete by Christ who fills all things everywhere with himself. And the last one tonight, Ephesians 4, 16, he, that's Jesus Christ, he makes the whole body fit together and unites it through the support of every joint. As each and every part does its job, you see that? You've got a job to do. Everyone has to play their part. Everyone has to do their job. As each and every part does its job, he makes the body grow so that it builds itself up in love. It's not up, it's not up to us to make the body grow, it's up to us to do our part, to do the job that God has called us to do, and then he makes the body grow so that it grows and builds itself up in love. Isn't that beautiful tonight, church? It's wonderful, what a wonderful truth, church. Listen, thanks for your attention tonight. I hope I haven't went on too long. Why don't you stand, and James is gonna come back, and um, we, we will worship together for a few moments, and then... Um, we will let you go to your homes and enjoy the rest of your evening. Um, let's sing together.